most retreats do have with them the consideration of death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And what I'd like to you to consider today is the worldlings at the approach of death. One of the first sermons I heard a young a funeral sermon I heard a young priest give before I was ordained. He started out the funeral sermon saying, "We're all born to die. We all will die." In every age, we have homes, we have cities that are filled with people. Ten years from now, they will be filled with new inhabitants. And many of the pre-existing inhabitants will be assigned to the grave. We are born to die. However long our life may be, a day, an hour will come, which will be our last. And this hour and this minute is already determined by Almighty God, even the second that we're to die. God has borne a great deal of patience with us. There's some of you at the venerable age of 60, 65, maybe 70 at tops here. The saints would prefer to die rather than to offend God. God has been most merciful to us to permit us so much time to repair the damage we have done to His honor and the damage that we have done to our souls. In a few years, we will no longer be living on earth. As we have heard the bell toll for others, those young altar boys, as they in the sacristy lift those three little levers for the tollers, someday those bells will be, those levers will be lifted for them. Someday that tolling bell will be sounded for them. Now, we read the names of others inscribed in the obituaries. Our name will one day appear on that list. In a word, there is no alternative. We all must die. And what is more terrible is that we can die but once. Once a soul is lost, it is lost forever. We will be alarmed when it's announced that uh, I'm calling the priest. You need to be anointed. You must receive the last sacraments. They might say there's no time to lose. Since this retreat began, I have two gentlemen in Cleveland that are requesting to be anointed before their surgeries this weekend. Neither one of them have life-threatening surgery, so it's unlikely that they'll be anointed before the surgery. I'm not going to cancel my conferences at the retreat and make my way to, to Cleveland when one is uncertain that he's even going to have surgery, when it's going to be, and the other where he's going to be. 
Then we will see our relatives and our friends. When the priest is called, they will leave the room. And nobody will be there but the confessor. Let us not wait until our death, dear men, to give ourselves to God. The worldling schemes to do such, to give to God at the last minute. When, when we should have lost, have loved God every minute of our lives, many times the worldling has prepared trips abroad vacations, made meticulous plans, how much gas is going to cost, how much we're going to use, where are we going to spend the nights, how much we're going to spend on food, what recreations we're going to have. But at the approach of death, there's so little preparation. This individual becomes confused and fails to make adequate preparations for the most important journey of his life. As the worldling approaches death, fear and dread sets in, and he's incapable of putting his affairs in order. His agitation makes him incapable of doing any virtuous act. Whatever he sees or hears adds to his fears adds to his distress. All worldly things now become to him those which he prized, those which he put above his salvation, now become to him thorns and remembrance of the past pleasures, honors, vanities, and friends who have withdrawn him from God now alarm him and now torture him. What will be his terror as he reflects? In a short time I shall be no more. I know not whether I shall be happy or miserable for eternity. What consternation the very words judgment, hell, eternity, strike into the soul of a poor dying worldling. When I, print, when I printed the word worldling on my computer, it came up red. I don't know if it's such a word or not. That's what I'm using to describe one attached to the world. Our Redeemer has died for us. It is from His precious blood that we hope for salvation. We must grieve for having offended Him. Doesn't it make you grateful? to think that there are many men your age that have never received our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and yet God has been so good to give him to you each Sunday some of you are daily mascores and daily communicants our Redeemer has died for us and from his precious blood we hope for salvation we must grieve for having offended him imagine yourself a man sees with your last illness. He but, uh, but a few hours ago, heavily involved in slander, threatening others in anger on the road, ridiculing others as not being as noble as yourselves, 
And now that man is paralyzed. He's deprived of all power of his body, his senses. He cannot speak. He cannot see. He cannot hear. The unhappy man thinks no more of his engagements. The thought of the accounts, which he must soon render to God, alone occupies him. His relatives weeping in sad silence surround him, and his confessor tries to assist him. He sees the physicians collecting in the doorway of his room. They're consulting together, which shows him how veins have taken a tragic turn for the worse. They're confused as to how to make this patient, this dying person, better. In such a state, that man in the hospital bed no longer thinks of his amusements. Only the news that he is soon to die, that his sickness is mortal. There is no remedy in this state of confusion. In his pain, in his affliction, in his fear, he must prepare himself to die, depart out of this world. But how is he to prepare himself in such a short time? His mind is almost gone. There is no remedy. He must depart. But what must he do, Jim? Please feel free to hear there. Now we should consider our own death. We do not desire to die in such uncertainty to our salvation. Now is the time to change our lives. Let us pray for the grace to die loving God with our whole heart and pray for the grace never to separate ourselves from Him again. If you were about to die, what would you not give for another year, another month? Resolve, therefore, to do now what you will not be able to do at the hour of your death. We're all concerned about the food shortage in the world, supposed food shortage, supposed fuel shortage, supposed everything shortage. Do now what you would want to have done when it comes. No one knows whether this be our last year, our last month, or even our last day. Nobody wishes to die in the state of mortal sin. Will therefore we dare to continue to live in that state? If we're content to live in the state of mortal sin, we will die in the state of mortal sin. We lament over those who die suddenly because they have no time to prepare themselves for death. We still seemingly have time, and yet we will not prepare ourselves for that judgment. Simply because God has not forgotten us so far, simply because God has shown us so many mercies so far, simply because God has assisted us 
in so many numerous endeavors to change our lives, can we presume that he's obliged to do so in the future? He is not obliged. At the approach of death, most probably the crucifix will be presented to you. I got a call from Matthew Bolte last night. He left a message. I didn't have the phone with me or pick it up. He said his mother died holding the relic of the true cross that I had loaned her a couple years ago. And he wants to make sure that that gets returned to me and make arrangements for that. How blessed she was. She's a devout woman, very good woman. She died yesterday, or the day before. How blessed she was to hold that crucifix, to embrace it. You and I need to be blessed as she was, and we will be, if we embrace the cross now. We will be. She embraced the cross. I have no doubt whatsoever that someday she will be in heaven. She suffered a lot. She cared for her husband year after year after year with <coughs> cancer after cancer after cancer. A very devout woman. At the approach of death, the crucifix will be presented to you and you will be admonished that Jesus Christ must be your only refuge, your only consolation, your only concern. To those who have but little love for the crucifix, to them it will be a subject of fear rather than encouragement. And what a consolation it will be for those who have left all for the love of their crucified Savior. Christ should be our only love in life and in death. And that is what is meant when you say at communion or when the priest elevates the host my God and my all let him be that he can be your God and your all in your shop on your farm in your business the dying who conscience whose consciences reproach them filled with terror at the sole mention of eternity they will not hear anything else spoken but of but spoken of but their sickness physicians and remedies and if the affairs of their souls are mentioned they grow soon grow tired they want to change the subject they need their rest they don't want to hear it the sinner will exclaim Oh, that I had time to amend my life. But it will be said to him, Depart out of this world. What avail will those additional doctors at the foot of his bed be now? What will those medics mean to him now? His hour has come to depart into eternity. To him who loves our Lord like you, how consoling it will be to hear that voice say, Depart from this world. 
not depart ye into eternal fire, depart from this world. That person will not be terrified. That person will rejoice. He'll have a breath of relief. All danger of losing his God will be over. He will have no more temptations. We read in sacred scripture, let thy place be this day in peace and thy abode in holy Sion. What a joyful announcement to him who dies in a well-grounded confidence of being in the state of grace. You should have that confidence. If you've gone a month, six months, a year without committing mortal sin, you should have a confidence you're going to die in the state of grace because right now you've been faithful to our Lord. If you're making true efforts, and let's say you failed yesterday, you fell a week ago, and went to confession, that's a sign that you're going to die in the state of grace as well. The fact that you have a well-founded resolution. In the precious blood of our Lord, do we place all of our hope that Christ will conduct us into the place of peace where we shall be able to say, My beloved God, we now have no longer any fear of losing thee. That's our should be our greatest fear. Our Lord has compassion on our tears and upon those who wait not until death to lament their offenses against him. Let us now detest and abhor our sins. Let us be sorry for them with all of our heart. Let us now love him with all of our heart, who we once detested in committing sin. Many times have I read the following prayer for the dead. Remember, O Lord, he is thy creature. He is not made by strange gods, but by thee, the only living and true God. God created you not for yourself, he created you for him and his self. If we have once despised him, let us now love him with all of our hearts. He who has but little love for God, for Christ, will tremble at the appearance of Holy Viaticum. But he who, on the contrary, who has loved only our Lord, will be filled with confidence and love when he beholds our Lord there to accompany him on his passage into eternity. So often, young men drive me on sick calls, and so often, like in Cleveland right now, that's our geriatrics parish, they have 12 sick calls that need to be made. When I arrive at their place, the driver makes a mistake. I've had them say, hey, look how happy he was to see you. He's not happy to see me. He's happy to see our Lord. For our Lord coming to him. While extreme unction is received, the devil will remind the dying man of his sins 
Let us therefore be careful to lament them before the approach of death. When one has received all the sacraments, his friends and relatives retire, and that soul is left alone with our Lord. So often I see people left alone in hospital beds, even though they're dying, their family's not there. When all others have abandoned us, our Lord will remain with you to the end. In thee, O Lord, have I hoped, let me never be confounded. I want you to consider the last agony. There are prayers that a priest says when someone is dying. There are prayers that a priest said when someone's in their last agony. There are prayers that a priest said when one has died. They're all in the ritual under those three different sections. I want you to consider the agony of death. A cold sweat spreads over the person. His eyes become dim. His pulse intermittent. His extremities become cold, sometimes turn purple. He stretches himself out like a corpse, and his agony begins. He is already rapidly passing into eternity. The soul is pulling from the body. His breath fails him. His respirations become less frequent, and death is near at hand. The priest lights a blessed candle, maybe placing it in his hand, if he's conscious enough to hold it without burning the place down. And he begins to repeat for him acts of contrition, acts of faith, hope, charity, appropriate prayers, suitable for one's soul to depart this world. Enlightenment, discussing religion, discussing the truths of the faith, will be of little service when time is gone for repairing the evils which one has done. Give them hope, as Bishop Mendez told Bishop Kelly when he consecrated. Give them hope. Only then do we begin to consider how our offenses appear at this last light. The dying man expires, and at the same moment in which he breathes his last, time for him concludes and eternity begins. It's a moment which will decide the happiness and misery of the individual for all eternity. We must now ask for mercy. We must now ask for pardon. We must now unite ourselves to our Lord that we may not at our last moment be lost forever. The soul has now departed. The priest tells the bystanders, He is gone. May he rest in peace. He will rest in peace if he died in peace with God. But he will never enjoy peace so long as God shall be God if he did not rest in peace. As soon as he is dead, News spreads abroad. One may say, oh, he was a good man. Others may say, well, he wasn't very devout. 
Curse like a sailor. Another may say, well, who knows whether he saved his soul or not. His relatives sometimes won't even mention the word death. In some of these obituaries, you never hear the word death. He just did on, he just did, that wasn't a mispronouncement. He did on uh, January the 10th at 3.30 in the afternoon. As soon as he is dead, the news spreads. He who was the life of conversation now becomes the sorrow of all. You go into his house. He is no longer there. His room is occupied by another. His bed is occupied by another. His furniture is divided by his relatives. Where is he? Well, his body is in the grave, but his soul is in eternity. If you want to see him, you open the grave. He's no longer vivid. He's no longer feasting. He's no longer conversing. He is now a heap of corruption in which are engendered multitude of worms which will soon eat away his lips and his cheeks so that in a little time nothing more will remain but a skeleton. Give that time the skeleton falls to pieces the head from the trunk the bones from one another and they begin to disintegrate. This is what this body of ours will one day be reduced to on account of which we have so often offended God. The saints of God remembered this and kept their bodies in subjection by mortification. Their bones are now venerated upon our altars. Their souls are enjoying the sight of God, waiting for the day of final retribution, where their bodies will become once again their companions, their companions in glory, as they were formerly their companions in suffering. St. Camillus, looking on the graves of the dead, was accustomed to say, Oh, if these were alive, what would they not now do for eternal life? And I who am alive, what do I do? What am I waiting for? Our Lord has not yet condemned me with the reprobate on account of my ingratitude. Others have offended him in the midst of darkness and ignorance. But we, traditional Roman Catholics, have offended him in the midst of great light. We know what is wrong, and we have still done it. God has sufficiently enlightened us to know the wrong which we did in committing sin, and yet we closed our eyes to the light. We trampled on his graces, and we turned our backs upon him. I want you to consider the death of the just, a very positive thing. Every morning at prime, the priest, before he reads the martyrology, that is all the list of the martyrs throughout the centuries on that day who gave up their life for our Lord, 
precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. St. Bernard says that the death of the just is called precious because it's the end of their labors, because death is the gate of life for them. To the saints, death is a reward because it is the end of their suffering pain, it is the end of their struggles, it is the end of their fear of losing God. It is precious. The word depart, which is such a terror to the worldlings, alarm not the justice, because to them it's not painful to leave the worldly possessions that they have accumulated. They didn't become attached to them. God was their only riches. They weren't attached to the honors of the world. They despised them. They weren't attached to the relatives such that the relatives displaced God in their lives. Truly God was their only portion in this life. He was their God. He was their all. The pains of death do not afflict them. They rejoice in offering to God the last moments of life and testimony of their love for Him. Uniting the sacrifice of their lives to the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, offered on the cross for love of Him. What a consolation for the saints is the thought that now the time is over that they might lose God, that they might offend God, and we're in constant danger of losing Him. That time is gone. What a joy to be able to embrace the crucifix and to say, in peace I will sleep and I will rest. St. Thomas Aquinas defines peace as tranquility of order. Everything will be order. Nothing can go wrong. No plans disrupted. Everything is just perfect. Death is a gate of life. God is faithful. The devil will endeavor at this time, dying, to disquiet us by the sight of our sins. But if we have wept for them now and have loved our Lord with our whole heart, our Lord will console us. God is more desirous of our salvation than we and the devil are for our damnation. In, in um, Narnia, one of my favorite parts is when the Ice Queen comes to claim Edward. And who's the line? Aslan? Aslan, she's there squawking like some people do. And Aslan lets out this big roar and just quietens her. He's a symbol of our Lord's dying, the Lion of Judah. Our Lord is a symbol of, or the line is a symbol of our Lord. And that's how our Lord will silence Satan, who will be there babbling, claiming your soul for his. If you've been faithful, our Lord will let out a mighty roar that will just silence him. Death is the gate of life. God is faithful, and he will indeed at that time console those who loved him. Even in the sorrows of death, 
he will bestow upon them a foretaste of heaven. Their acts of confidence, of love of God, of desire soon to soon behold him, will begin for them the peace that they will experience throughout eternity in their death. How good God is to the Christian who's been faithful. He will give you special graces at your death. He gives to priests special graces to be faithful at the hour of death. What joy in particular will the Holy Viaticum, the Holy Eucharist, afford to those who can say with St. Philip Neri, Behold my love, behold my love. Love will cause, love of God will cause us not to fear death. It is a sin, it is sin alone which makes death so terrible. A great servant of God, Father Colombier, he said it is morally impossible for one who in life has been faithful to God to die unhappily. And with that, my dear friends, we close this conference on the death of the worldling. We'll begin this evening, the fifth conference that I have for you, your fifth conference, since I've been giving them all so far, and it'll be on judgment, which once again is not too pretty of a thing if we are attached to sin.